competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Everybody, welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nadavati. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be back. And Archon Scari. Ah, Mr. Riz. the Dark Kin, indeed. Hello, fellow welcome listeners and uh, hosts. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This is going to be exciting. Uh, you're one of my favorite people in this hobby. We have had the pleasure of teaming together. Wrong way, kids. Or, right? Yeah, that was us. Uh, the <laughs> ATC. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, that was very fun. That was one of my fondest like team event experiences. It was very entertaining. I had no idea you guys played together. That was pretty cool. Yep. Uh, so I've been known uh, the Archon here for many years at this point. Uh, even ran into you at an airport. It's one of the things, you know, us Warhammer players are kind of easy to spot in mm-hmm. travel locations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big cases, you know, it really helps. You know, you woke up, like, you're going to LVO too? Yes. How can you tell? The it was giant so funny case of miniatures. At LVO this year, you just saw like, you know, Vegas people that look like Vegas people, and then just like an influx of gamers, which are very clearly gamers. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> how that is. <laughs> I want to remind everyone this is part one of a two part conversation. We're going to break this up in a couple of different ways. We're going to spend some time talking about Scari. Want to hear your story? You know, want to know how you got into this from, you know, going from more of a casual type narrative player to a terminal organizer to a content creator to now, you know, travel, representing your country and the, the world team event. Yeah, world team championship, narrative events. You know, I feel like, um, well, thanks for having me on, number one. Number two, I'm really excited to chat, not necessarily because, you know, I like talking about myself, but that does help. But um, also because there's so many new people in the hobby, and it's nice to sort of impart like a little bit of. I like teaching. I like explaining things. I like uh, hoping that people who listen or watch anything I do learn something from the experience. So I'm really looking forward to just breaking down the philosophy of building lists and playing the game since I've been playing all the way since third edition Warhammer 40k, which is what 23 years ago or something like that. When the Jukari got their debut. When the Dark Eldar. <laughs> got their debut thank you very much um and they were in a nice starter set with my first love which was the black templars oh seriously glad. H- happy to have this moment and these moments this is part one of a two-part conversation in part one we're going to talk about all that uh part two we're going to talk you know about philosophy of competitive play uh you know talk about how you're adapted to arcs of omen which you're looking forward to in the future you know we're gonna get more in kind of the nitty-gritty of uh what your your play style is and how it has evolved and then also how that uh kind of dovetails into meta discussions and being competitive that sounds fantastic i hope everybody sticks around and listens and let's dive in let's start with way on back in the day getting that box set in your hand black templar on the front on the back what did it, it came came with 20 tag marines 10 10 tactical marines one with a rock like one sergeant one flamer um it came with a, a land speeder equipped i believe with a multi-melter or heavy bolter i think it was like the plastic land speed which to this day is probably one of the worst kits to put together ever <laughs> that was made out of plastic because you had to literally use so many elastic bands to hold it together or you'd literally have like holes in it everywhere um <laughs> the good old and then days. it came 
Yeah, the good old days. You kids don't even know. You have it so easy. Just like glue everything together, fits nicely. Little fiddly bits sometimes, but you know, nothing compared to what we had to deal with. And then, um, and then the other side was twenty Cabalite warriors with like a splinter cannon upgrade, <laughs> and that's it. It wasn't biased towards the space marines at all. They said. <laughs> I can't remember if that's also the set that came with like the like, the palm trees. Yep, came scenery. with old jungle trees and the little ruin. I had one of those. This set's from like early two thousands, right? Yeah, this is like this third edition. It was like the third edition box set. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, this is like from back. This is like retro back in the day stuff. But that's when I started. You know, played. Um, it was just me and my brother basically splitting the box. Like we'd roll off to see who got to win that day and play the space marines. And uh, you know, and then we play um we play on the like kitchen table and um that was how my journey started all that time ago and since then it's developed into a career a a, a like a life a lifestyle almost you know i like the way you said that was that um like what was your experience with warhammer before that if all if at all before like, like the playing. just getting the box set and learning to play the game oh i I had no experience with any tabletop game, really. I played, like, Risk. I played chess, you know? Like, I, I was big into Stratego, if anybody remembers that like, that game. I just um, played that recently. Yeah, it's, it's it's still going. It's still games that you can play. It's like chess. It's timeless. It is, right? And so... And I used to enjoy those games a lot. And I played a lot of, like, StarCraft and Age of Empires and, you know, like, just computer games that... Uh, RTS-style games. And I really liked the... Like, the imagery was great. Like, you had, like, dudes in armor with, like, big guns and stuff and rockets. And I, I've i always had a very vivid imagination. So playing the game was always, like, a big story to me. And so having, like, all these scenes play out in my head, like, I could visualize what was going on in the table with, like, when the rolls happened and stuff. It was like, you were just, I was so immersed in the game itself, I just got hooked. And then I just really went down the rabbit hole. Um, and I stayed with one army, which is Black Templars, all the way through the end of university, really, you know, just played one army because I could only afford one army and I'd buy something here, buy something there. And eventually I had like a 200 point army, which was like a character in a squad. And then I bought a rhino and then I bought another character and then I did that. And, you know, and eventually I had a, a, an army of dudes that I could play and go to like events with. And I did a lot of like tournaments back in the year like the mid 2000s like 2007 8 9 10 and 12 up to like 2012 i was like going to tournaments a lot with the templars back in fifth edition um but the scene back then was not what it is today nowhere near what it is today yeah the 40k like has some... really evolved as a scene over years and years and years and you're, you're like a bit of walking 40k history being playing for even longer than me 24 years you said well so I I I, get, I could get you the actual day to there, Nick. Um, but um, <laughs> I I think that's about. I was about. I think I was twelve or thirteen when I started. I'm thirty six now. So oh, we just give yeah. away the sauce. Yeah. So just <laughs> you know, there you go. Long you time, go. long time. So I guess I've always known you as Jukari player, and I think like to the most of the populace, you're you're like the Jukari guy. You're that, and that's that's ultimately what we're here to talk about, like your philosophy with list building and your approach to Jukari. And then in part two, that's when we're going to get into your list. But the 
You're saying you played Black Templars in all these tournaments. What is that about? Oh, yeah. I was like, I, le- I learned my vows by heart. Okay. I was like the narrative named every Space Marine style player, but played like, like I was competitive. I loved winning tournaments. I've got lots of like Rogue Trader tournament trophies, like the old crystal trophies they used to give out with the little plaques. If any of you remember those, do you remember those, Paul? Oh, yeah. Yeah. From the, you know, back in the day. This yeah, I kept was, one uh, of each. You know, yeah, uh, exactly. I had like a best. I had a best general, a best overall. I think I have a best painted in there as well from back in the day. Anyway, so those were like I loved competing, but I also loved like saying my vow before we started the game <laughs> as a black devil. So you were being just like, like into it. Oh yeah, totally into it. Just completely obsessed. Um, and then uh, in fifth edition, there was a stint of with my local game group, which is the Stratford Gaming Union. Shout out to everybody there in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. And I, I think I won like forty or fifty games in a row with my fourth edition Black Templars or fifth edition Black Templars. And it get, got to a point where it was like, you know, I was just it was I was just going through the motions every game, and I wasn't really like feeling like I was learning anything. And so I decided to challenge myself, and my friends were like, I bet you can't do the same thing with Dark Eldar, because they suck. And uh, and I was like, challenge accepted. I never knew that story. I really assumed that when you were telling the story of their third edition Space Marine versus Dark Dark Eldar box, I was like, well, it started in like 2000. Skari was a Dark Eldar player. (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) No, no. I I started, um, so back back in 20. Well, I think it's 2008. Maybe I started the Dark Eldar. Maybe 2007, and um, and back then, like Dark Eldar were like, if you thought they're a niche now, back then they were like like a four leaf clover, like a leprechaun. You know, you never saw them ever. At, like, it was events. actually difficult to travel with them because of the raiders and how kind of fiddly they were, and you know, it was there wasn't a huge range. Yeah, the range was like they all looked like derpy, goofy. You know what I mean? Like the tanks looked really cool as a fleet, and there were very specific ways to build lists. So back in the day, there were things called forums, right? Where we had, uh, <laughs> you know, like Daka Daka, Boltron Chainsword, all these forums, and that's where all the information went. And there were a couple of builds, quote unquote, good Drukari builds, but they were the same builds for years on end because codexes didn't change, right? Back in the day. And oh, yeah. so what I would do is I'd, because uh, I had no money, I would go to a tournament with my Templars. And if I won anything, I would buy Dark Eldar models. And even back then, all the Dark Eldar models at the store were all, like covered in dust because nobody touched them. Uh, I think and, it ended up being a nine-year-old codex before it got its first I was, I think it was 13 years, actually. Yeah, some, some crazy. Yeah, it, was, it was 13 years before they updated it in 2010. I believe is when the new codex and like the new models came out and stuff. So I was playing with like old stuff for a good three years or so, three or four years. Um, but I built a full army. I went to a couple of tournaments. I did very well. Um, one of the bigger tournaments in Canada was called the War Masters Team Tournament. It was a doubles event, and it was a very like coveted event. It was one of the biggest ones in Canada, and we came in like second best overall, essentially me and my teammate. Um, Mike and it, we had done a Blood Angel Dark Eldar combo, and that was really fun. That was one of my favorite tournaments back in the day. And then uh, the new stuff came out, uh, and that was and and I started building, collecting, and that's when I started doing filming. You know, I started. I had a podcast for the longest time called Scarred Cast, which is where Scarred Cast comes from. 
and it's still going. You got a whole channel called Skycast. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So that's where that came from. And Super uh, edgy. Well, I got Goat Boy to draw me like a poster because you need a Goat Boy poster, of course, if you're going to start at some point. If your 40k channel, you've you've commissioned Goat Boy to do artwork for you. It is a rule. Exactly. It's a rite so, of passage. That, exactly. And so I had a Podbean account, and I got him to draw up a poster for me, and it was a Black Templar space marine with a scar across his face, with wearing head a headset like a podcasting headset, yelling into a microphone. That was Scarcast. So, um, uh, so that's where that name comes from, actually. Um, and uh, and then I started doing battle reports. Yeah, so I filmed my first battle reports. I want to say twelve or thirteen years ago, back when YouTube was just a footnote, and there was only like me and Mini Wargaming and Striking Scorpion. And I think Lawrence started around that time too, just doing like on and off stuff. And then uh, uh, anyway, so that was you know. That was yeah, and I filmed it. It's terrible. It's six minutes long, and uh, you, you should watch. You don't it. want to see some there. of our earlier content from when we started this hard war endeavor. I uh, I still tell people who want to start a channel, I'm like, or do content, I'm, go watch my first YouTube uh, video. It's still on my YouTube channel. It's like, go. I used to take my phone, my cell phone, and yeah. rubber band it to a pole, and that was the yep. overhead camera. Yep, That's, I still do that sometimes when I need an extra camera. You know what I mean? Um, hey, look, don't knock it. Sometimes you gotta gotta get the shot. I literally still film on my phone. Like my bat reps are my phone, right? Like I don't use any fancy cameras, so you don't need a fancy camera. You just have to like find a system and be consistent. And you, that's a whole other topic. We could literally have a whole conversation on podcasting and creating content and stuff. Um, but I recommend like go watch that video because it'll show you how you can start anywhere like that first bat rep is in a dark basement with my brother unpainted models and miniatures and terrain my battery ran out on my thing i was filming the tablet i was using to film so i didn't even finish the bat rep (laughs) like just the battery ran out so that was it no more bat rep nice forever in suspense yeah yep all right, so you've clearly come a long way as a player, right? You started as a kid, collected your Black Templars, turned them into Dukari on a challenge, and then all of a sudden you started to go kind of more professional, become a content creator. At what point, I guess, did you start to really make this your what you do? Like, you are a 40K player professionally now. And then from there, how did you get competitive with it? Because that's you've always been on the more casual side up until you said 2018 earlier. Yeah, so 2018, well, it's actually, like, I've always loved competition. You know, I had I had been on the competitive scene back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, but then I had a sort of, like, competitive hiatus, and I still went to events and, and competed. Uh, as I was, I had a, like, I did a sales job for, for seven years, um, till two, so from 2011 to 2008. Uh, 17 no 2010 yeah to do that i basically started a sales job that essentially got had me working like 80 hours a week or something crazy like that so um my son was born i was working really hard didn't really get to see him grow up much because of the fact that i was literally on the road or working and that sort of like you know um that was one aspect of the reason why i decided to stop doing what i did there and the other one is that in the sales world, it's very soulless a lot of the time. And I was, in order to make it, you sort of have to sometimes step over people or on people. And I just didn't really like the that sort of philosophy of just interacting with humans. You know what I mean? I don't like, I don't like that philosophy of just a 
doing like getting somewhere in like using people as an expense basically so in 2017 end of 2017 i um end of 2000 no the end of 2018 i decided to shut down like my little sales business that i was running and uh and start doing content full-time but i had gone to a couple of events that year put a lot of work into it one two big majors here in canada uh um especially the capital city bloodbath which is one of the you know biggest tournaments in canada with my dark elder i had started to um I had started to uh, do some competitive stuff in 2017 back then, but I went to that same tournament. So I went to the Cavalry Bloodbath in 2017. This was like the release of, we were playing Index 8th Edition, I believe, back then, right? So 8th Edition had just been released. It was Index Hammer. Everybody was like on the same page. I went, I was like, I kind of know what I'm doing, at least I thought. And I went two and four at this event. I got smashed like absolutely destroyed so that whole year i set a goal for myself and i'm like i need to come back and do better next year and i put my head down i worked really hard i practiced a lot i built a decent list and i literally practiced all year went back the next year and won it and i won the whole tournament this was back with like double crazy inari stuff and it was nuts like i you know that was a crazy time to play the game and uh and that sort of put me on the competitive scene, uh, on the competitive map. And then I, I, I was on Team Canada, and I participated in the world, the ETC back then, the team championship. And I was on the Canadian team, and uh, got a lot more competitive experience with that. And since then, you know, I've uh, been doing content full time. I do coaching with the Art of War. I do like tactics videos, and I try to teach people stuff, and do list builds. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I do that has really sort of cemented my love for the hobby but let me do it as a career where i get to teach people how to play the game the way they they want to play the game and to see the results they want to see and the experience that i have is like something i love to share with people if that makes sense from 20 years of playing from going from narrative to competitive to anything in between and it's uh, so it's a nice sort of like broad vision of the whole hobby rather than just like the competitive aspect uh, let's, let's rewind a bit though uh, because you're yeah. talking about you know you went to the event uh then took some time to like really focus on you know what it takes to win one of these things and then right. came back and win won it so let's go back and start talking about that process of objectively like evaluating what you're doing either what you're bringing what you're playing how you're playing it or what have you uh and then how is that the seed for where you're at competitively today yeah that's that's a great that's a great way to to put it there so the you know what happened was you know i sometimes in order to like have a change you need to be humbled you know and uh so that going to and for a big major being like having an expectation of like i can do you know at least four and two or whatever right at this big event you know because i win in my local meta all the time you know and then just being like put in your place being like no <laughs> i think that was like the first eye-opening thing so you have to in order to improve you have to understand that there's people out there who are better than you and you have to learn like you you have to always be learning and you have to have that student mentality. So that's like the first step in my thought process is if I if I feel like I have learned everything I can learn and I there's nothing left for me to learn, then I'm already in a losing position. And I think you have to go into the whole process with that with that mentality. 
So do you, do you still I'm like in all the games you play today as a professional who teaches people and you know competes at that level? Do you still go into every game trying to learn something? Oh yes, one hundred percent. And it's one of the reasons why I find myself winning matchups I shouldn't win or doing better into things that people would look on paper and go, "This isn't good" or "This isn't like this shouldn't work." Um, is because of that cre- like what I love in the creative process you know when i try something completely different um or do something that my list can do but not very many people would do because it doesn't seem like the right thing to do it's like hard to explain unless you put it on the table but like i'm always trying to learn something and so sometimes especially during you have to sort of separate like training and coaching games with like going to an actual tournament so if i'm like doing a coaching stream game or i'm like training or practice games i'll i'll try some weird stuff like i'll you know you you just have to kind of put everything out there and not take a loss personally during a training match if that makes sense like you want to practice with weights on so the thought process there is you know to learn something no matter what in that game and understand what you did that then led to you winning or losing because if you can take dice out of the equation that's like the best thing right if you're trying to win on a dice roll that's never going to work or it's not going to work most of the time because it's a dice roll you have to try and focus on everything you can physically control and do all of that well and then roll the dice and then the dice will show up as they do but at least you can say i did everything i could that I had in my control, movement, positioning, you know, putting the amount of weapons I wanted to put over here or, you know, things like that. Right. And then, then just roll the dice and see what happens. Um, and, uh, but even at a tournament you go in, I'm always trying to learn something because there's so many people there that are creative, that have different list ideas that do cool little moves. Like you can learn the technical stuff of the game, like piling in and consolidating properly and taking objectives and things like that as well. But sometimes people will use a stratagem creatively or they'll use a character in a way that you didn't expect or, you know, and I'll, I'll internalize that stuff. If it like won my opponent their game, I'll be like, ooh, that was cool. And then I'll use it. You know what I mean? And uh, so I'm always loving, I always love learning stuff from, from people. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot to learn. Like I always try to learn from every game as well. I think that's a hallmark of what makes someone successful in this game is their ability to always learn because there's so much to learn in 40K. Once you think you know it all, you you literally have just lost, basically. Yep. Um, yeah. Is it a byproduct for you specifically? Because you basically played Black Templars for the first half of your 40K life, and then you switched to Drukari, and you've been doing that since. You've put in like more reps on Jukari than I think any person I know on any other faction that I'm aware of. That, how do you still find things to learn? Like, what is the mentality? Like, a lot of players get bored. They have multiple and multiple factions. They switch between their armies. They meta hop. They meta chase. And you, you know, through thick, through thin. When Jukari are good, you're awesome. When Jukari are not good, you're still awesome. How do you, how do you get in that mindset? What is that mindset? And then how do you learn still? No, that's. Uh... I think that is a little unusual, and I don't expect everybody to be able to do that. If that makes sense, you know, if they if there is something is in business, for example, if you want to be good at business or good at anything, you do have to sort of be mildly obsessed, right? And that obsession is shown in the fact that I just play the same faction over and over and over. Now, don't get me wrong; I do have a lot of games with Drukari. Is this a Drukari obsession? It's a. <laughs> 
Yeah, it could be. Like, absolutely. I love... I, the thing is about the Drukari is... <laughs> I like is, that Paul got my pun. <laughs> I'm here uh-huh. for you. Ha. Okay, I get it now. See, it took a while. I was really focused, and now you've like... And now the pun was incredible. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, you know, you just have to decide on what obsession you're going to be obsessed with. Um, but the thing about... Like, with this book, for example, using this Dark Eldar book or this Drukari Codex, you know, and it could change in the future. You know, we don't know what's what the future holds. But the fact that you will shoot yourself in the foot if you buy into the buy into the meta of there are things that are better than others, and that's the only thing you should use or take. So if you have if you have a very one track mind of this is the best obsession, this is the best unit, this is the best upgrade, this is the best warlord trait, this is the best, and you only use that over and over again, then you're sort of like putting yourself in a box. The thing I like to do is I'm personally as a competitive player, I don't I don't feel like I have anything to prove, which really helps me create and be more creative on the tabletop. And that therefore allows me to get better with the game because I'm trying random and weird stuff. Like I'll try <laughs> silly obsession combinations and I'll try units that people don't use and upgrades that never get seen at the competitive level. And then I'll run them at a, at a tournament or an RTT or I'll, I'll see if they have any potential. And even to this day, after like two and a half years of having this codex, I'm still finding cool combinations. You know, what I mean? it also it kind of seems like you have a bit of a a, a quantity becoming a quality, and you're getting the reps and experimenting with this type of stuff. But if we can reel it just a little bit back, and what do you think the mix between you know I'm I'm very much generalizing here than just play better, you know, like just get good and actually objectively looking at changing your army list what do you think that boils down to what your actual like ratio of that is as yeah. you evolve so i think the number one thing of evolving is learn something right and don't blame the dice which is like like one of the biggest pitfalls that i see in most people who want to get better at the game the first thing they'll say about a game they lost is my dice were cold or whatever it is right like that is such a mentality thing and if you want to get good with any faction, that's the first thing that has to get out of your head. You cannot think that way if you want to just get better at the game. One of the Art of War catchphrases, we just don't blame dice. Yeah, don't blame. you cannot blame the dice, right? In terms of framework, stick with a list that you enjoy playing. Don't switch your list all the time. We talk about this on like Art of War all the time. Do not change your list from game to game to game. You know what I mean? Like... There's one thing, there's, but you have to understand when is the right time to change your list. Like, if you think of a concept, and you go, I want to build an army that's all X unit, and then you put it on the table, and you play two turns with it. Within two turns, you will have that intuition that tells you whether or not that list feels right or does not feel right for you. I don't know if any of you can concur with that. No, I, I, I think yeah, there's different like types of, of list writing, too, right? So some lists are diversified and and deep in their tactical play and their strategic boundaries. And, you know, when you play one of those lists and you get your butt kicked, you got to sit down and critically think and don't blame the dice and determine, is my list capable of winning this game or did I not pilot it properly? You know, it's it's probably you as a pilot if your list has a lot of depth and tactical nuance to it. And then if you build like the ultimate sledgehammer, here's my four hammer heads and 
two sun sharks and three riptides, I have one speed. You know, your list is pretty gimmicky. Probably your list is flawed. Right. You know, and and but that's the thing is once you um uh you know once I look at a list, right? I'm I when I build a list, I'm looking at like my playstyle number one, and does it vibe with me? Right. And that's I think one of the most important parts of playing a list. And it was one of the reasons why sometimes I've had many people over the years look at my lists and go, This list doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like when I went to the World Team Championship this past year, I run a coteries of the homunculi list. Did which you really people no one does yeah, that. <laughs> nobody does that, right? Like everybody was looking at it going, well, what the heck is this, you know, crazy Canadian thinking or whatever? What the heck is Scary thinking? But that list vibe with me really well for the what we needed at the time which was kill necrons and beat a necron list 14-6 or whatever right and it just did that very well <laughs> so and i guess the way you would figure out to even attempt to put coteries of the homunculi onto the table as a counter to necrons within a team format it's a very specific role but you know the way you come up with that counter is basically putting in gajillions of reps with your Drukari learning and thinking through every interaction you possibly can. Correct. So I played it a lot. You know, I played that list. I developed it. I found out good ups, bad matchups. You know, and it went through like four or five different iterations. But the concept was the same, and I didn't change my list completely. I tweaked my list. So tweaking your list is a philosophy that I enjoy. You know, I play four or five games with the list and then i'd maybe change you know 300 points of the list or 200 points of the list like i tweak it and and one of the things that i recommend in list building is when you build a list and you play it after the game right take some time to think don't blame the dice critically think of movements or things you could have controlled and then go back and read your art your codex again this is one of the things that has helped me the most get better with my book with my armies is i read the codex again and i read not like the fluff and stuff if you're playing competitive you don't need to read the italics but read like your warlord traits your relics obsessions abilities unit stats weapon stats all the stuff like that when it's fresh because you will read a relic or a warlord trait or some ability that you either didn't have in your list that you wish you had that game or something that you forgot, which uh, then you will try and remember for next time. You know, for the longest time, I was playing Cult of Strife, Nick, without the plus one to charge. Wow. Because I had completely <laughs> forgotten that was yeah, it's, it's one of those like icing on top of <clears throat> elements of Cult of Strife. Not while right. you take it, but like totally and I there. Played, I literally had played like 10 games and I was like, okay, time to tweak my list. And I was like, let's read it through. And then I read it and I was like, oh my goodness, that would have helped in so many of these games. That, that comes uh, into play too when you're dealing with, with codexes that are kind of split between two books. Sometimes you yeah. don't always recognize all the synergy that you can you know ring from one thing or the other you know until you either see someone else do it that's why communicating and like having your your eye on what other people are doing matters a bit but also playing it and feeling like you're missing something and then going back and checking exactly yeah and and so that's like a big philosophy and then you have to understand your own play style in the second aspect of philosophy so if you if you like one big killy unit you know, then you kind of build a list around one big killy unit because you want to have a big hammer that can punch the enemy really hard or hit the enemy really hard. I'm, me philosophically speaking, I'm a trash units win games kind of player. 
right? Like I just fill my army with little MSU trash units that were just really annoying and I'll just win the game. You know, case in point, played a game yesterday into Tau and very strong Tau list, Riptide's like the whole nine yards. And I won the game like 94 to, you know, 40 or something, but I had three models left on the board and he still had like 1300 points of his army on the table. <laughs> so you've been playing 40k for give or take 24 years and you've been playing Jakari for a lot of that. So you've had time to experiment with the codex and figure out your playstyle and how you like to enjoy the army. For someone who doesn't have, you know, years and years and years of experience, someone who's new to the game, how do you go about identifying your playstyle? I think that you have to understand the basics of your playstyle. So, you know, we I you know, we do the if you're a, an aggressive or a defensive player, right? So do you like and you can and if you don't know if you're a tabletop aggressive or tabletop defensive player, you can look at every other game you've played and how you play those games, whether it's an RTS game or a first person shooter or whatever it is. Like how you approach just any sort of situation will kind of tell you how you're going to approach a game of 40k. I would even and then extrapolate the f- that it's also how you approach life too. Like, do you mm-hmm. do you embrace confrontation? Or do you avoid confrontation? Might have something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, it definitely does. And then on the flip side, you know, it's you know, are you a, an active or a reactive style player or person? Like, do you like you know waiting to see what happens and then making decisions, or do you like being the person that's making the decisions to force your opponent to react to what you're doing, right? And so once you understand like that broad strokes right? Then, especially if you have a coach, like if you have a coach or someone that can guide you through this, if you're really trying to learn, you know, that's where as a player, you can figure out what units or what parts in an army list support your play style so that it then sort of clicks with you and how you play. So it doesn't feel like you're a fish out of water when you're trying to make all the pieces fit together. Yeah. It seems like actually a good place to pause and then in the next part of this episode, get into all those pieces. Yeah, so we're going to go through a list that I've been developing, creating, um, you know, uh, and I co-wrote it with Dustin Henshaw um, at its first iteration because, um, you know, we'll discuss this in the second part and like how it came about. But yeah, like with that process, it's refined to the, the point that it is now, but it's taken, you know, I've played 30 or at least 30 games with the same list over over time 30 or 40 games and um and the last part of the philosophy that i'll kind of leave leave you know before we kind of finish up and go to the round two is i don't think you'll really ever understand a list truly until you play about 20 games with a list against as many different opponents and against as many different uh missions from the mission pack you're going to play as possible and uh, and every five games or so, I would tweak it. But I, I always called it a 20-game journey to perfection, right? So if you can get those games in, that's massively, massively useful when you're trying to develop a list and a format that works for you that then you can use effectively. I love everything you're saying, Skari. Tell us about this list, though. I know we're going to break it down here in just a minute, but I want to hear what the components is. What did you and Dustin come up with for iteration one? And where you're at right now with the design? Space. Oh well, iteration one has been lost to the warp. I don't, I don't keep lists around very long. Like as soon as it's adapted, it gets deleted off my, <laughs> off my phone. But um, just so you can see, it the the version that's kind of come across, especially in Arcs of Omen, which you know developed into an Arcs of Omen detachment, is a Cabal detachment of Obsidian Rose, 
with uh, Arcs of Omen, with Drazar, who's the Warlord, a Master Archon, who uh, is a Master Archon. He's just all kitted out. Three units of Incubi, a large court of the Archon, six units of Cabalite Warriors, uh, one of which has been upgraded to a Trueborn. They're all five-man units. Three Raiders for transportation. Then, because of the Arcs of Omen FAQ, an Arcs of Omen Battle Brothers Patrol Detachment of Coven of the Dark Creed with a Master Succubus. I know, interesting. Um, three units of Rax as the troops, five Grotesques, and three Venoms for the all-out Fear MSU build. Super exciting. I'm really curious, uh, now that we know a little bit more about how you've played gajillions of games with your lists and your reps and, and your approach to list building, how this thing functions on the table and why, out of all the Drukari approaches you could take, Venom Spam is kind of what you're going for here with, with Cult of Creed, of all things. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about in part two. Paul, anything else you want to ask in part one? Uh, I think it's going to wrap us up now. Uh, you know, if Going back to the fundamentals, take dice out of the equation, get your reps in. Uh, know what know the list you know inside and out uh scar it's been a pleasure if you are not going to join us in for part two please consider doing that uh leave us some five-star reviews some um thumbs up and likes and all that kind of stuff it really helps other people find us i'm looking forward to jumping to this next part of the conversation we'll see you all in a minute bye-bye everybody we'll see you in part two see you there like what you just listened to check out art of war down under and art of war unbroken on the competitive 40k network the Art of War 40K.com.